0: I was uh, given an apology by my wife just as church was about to start. She said that dinner is going to be very, very late because she forgot to put the turkey in the oven before she left. And here's the thing. She didn't say this, but it was my fault. I guarantee you. I'm not just saying that because women generally tend to make sure that it's the man's fault somehow, but uh, this morning, uh, I had my alarm set for 6.30, and um, it went off at like 6.10 or something like that. Little piece of advice, pro tip here. If your alarm goes off 20 minutes early, just get up. Don't go, oh, I'm going back to sleep for 20 minutes. Because what happens is you wake up 45 minutes later. And that's not a good thing when you got five grandkids over at the house. So this morning was kind of like frantic, crazy chaos at our house because I didn't get up on time. And I guarantee you that that is why that turkey did not get put in the oven on time before we left because Kathy was trying to get things done that would have gotten done 20 minutes earlier with grandkids. So it's my fault. I fully endorse that blame. So um, we're going to have Christmas dinner Supper instead of Christmas lunch today with the grandkids over. It is what we generally consider in uh, this part of the world, Christmas Eve, although if you go in other parts of the world, it's not. They do it on different days. So I thought that in the spirit of uh, Christmas Eve, what I would talk about today would be systems of government. I thought that that would just be, you know, appropriate. Next July, we'll talk about the birth of the the Savior. I'm kidding. Um, No, it's, it's applicable, and I think you'll understand as we go. If you were to walk out on the street today and ask people what they thought the best form of government was, most of them are likely to tell you that democracy is top's. But they would also likely tell you that we live in a democracy, which we don't, thankfully. We live in a republic, which is just one or two notches a bit above a democracy in the long run. Neither of them are all that wonderful, though. And we see every day in the news the shortfalls and inadequacies of systems of government like ours. There's corruption, partisan politics, incompetency, laziness, people making decisions based on poor or incorrect information. Sometimes there's just flat-out evil. No, you can keep all that leadership by flawed and sinful men and women. I'll take a good, old-fashioned despot any time. What's that? you don't think life under a despot would be any good or any fun? It wouldn't be something that would be pleasant? It'd be a dictatorship with an oppressive government forcing you into slavery? Well, yeah, sure. It could very well end up being like that. Especially if it were some power hungry egomaniac who just ruled with an iron fist like a tyrant. But it doesn't have to be like that. In fact, it could be real, real good. Don't write off the awesomeness of a despot just yet. You see, you and I were never meant to be self-sufficient, independent people. We aren't equal to that task. We aren't wise overseers even of our own affairs. We aren't even all that smart all of the time. If you don't believe me, just ask this of yourselves and I want you to be honest, okay? I want you to be honest when I ask you this. How many times have you said to yourself, you might not have admitted it to anybody else, but you said to yourself, wow, was that an idiotic thing that I did. Why on earth did I do that? After you had just made a terrible decision and done something really dumb that even while you were doing it, even while you were making the decision to do it, you knew it was a bad idea. If you don't admit that you've done that at least a few times, I'm not sure you're being real honest with yourselves. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, what we really need is a good, old-fashioned king, a sovereign, someone who is an absolute ruler and to whom we owe our obedience and our allegiance. There's just one problem with that, though. All of the folks who have ever, in the entire history, held that position, and the ones who have it right now, even if they don't have the title of king or monarch or sovereign, all of them have been just as bad or likely far worse and making decisions than we have ourselves. Why is that? Because we are all afflicted with the same ailment and fatal flaw. They have the same problems that you and I do. They are fallen, sinful, foolish people. Even the good ones, which have been few and far between, okay, i got to take this coat off for a second because this thing is just driving me bananas. I do not get along well with microphones. If you haven't picked up on that in the last ten years, then you haven't paid attention to me struggling with them up here every single week. They've been so bad at it, at being kings and monarchs and oligarchs or whatever you want to call them, that we ordinary people have had civil wars and revolutionary wars and uprisings and revolts to throw off the shackles of their rule. And then, after we do that, if you go back through history, I don't know if you're a history buff, but if you go back England, the United States, all of them, after we throw off the shackles of oppressive rule, we trade them for others who often turn out to be just as bad. Or, in some cases, they take the king back after they kicked him out. British-American preacher Mather Biles made a rather famous quote, During the American Revolutionary War, he said, quote, Which is better, to be ruled by one tyrant 3,000 miles away or by 3,000 tyrants one mile away? So we need and have always needed that king who is a despot but isn't a tyrant. We just have a misguided understanding of what the word despot means. Let's read about that time, which we like to remember this this season of the year, when he first arrived so many centuries ago. Turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading 1 through 20, but we're going to break it up a little bit. Luke 2, 1 through 20. and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. Scripture. Of course it is read every year at Christmas time and hopefully you're reading it in your own personal reading at least a couple of other times every year. Personally, I always love hearing this passage of Scripture read by that wonderful and wise person, Linus, from the Peanuts, when we would watch the Charlie Brown Christmas special every year. It's a wonderful passage, and for almost everyone, it is beloved as it is the lead-in to the nativity. I wonder, though, do we really take note of what we are actually reading? Yes, it's that familiar story. Yes, we've probably seen it represented in movies and plays since we were performing in those plays as second graders wearing bath robes and towels on our heads, performing on a church stage back in the 70s or 80s for me. But do we take it all in? In this first part of the Christmas narrative, there have already been several people mentioned who wore the title of king or emperor, or governor. In the Matthew version, another one is mentioned. One of them was better than the others, but all of them were tyrants for at least a portion of the time they were in authority. Most of them, for the entire time, they were in authority. They were tyrants. None of us, I think, would ever dream of trading in our rights Or even a flawed Congress or presidents for any of these men that are mentioned. But none of them was the ruler, the king whom we seek, and of whom the king this narrative is telling us about. Going on in the scripture passage, there it says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here we come to the first place where we get our understanding of what is really meant for us in the form of a king. The messengers of God said to the shepherds, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Much of this we tend to just look at and in our minds we just think, oh, Jesus. To our Christianized minds, which have read these words hundreds or maybe even thousands of times, we can just think in our heads that all that's being said is Jesus was born. Okay, because that's what it translates to, to us. But the truth is that uh, these are real words. And real words have real meanings. Sometimes it's important that we are reminded, or even just told for the first time, what those literal meanings are. Savior, to us, equals Jesus. But it doesn't. It's a descriptive word of someone who saves. Someone who performs the act of salvation. It has a wide variety of uses, and we might even get offended at somebody using it in its appropriate usage, but for mundane purposes other than referring to Christ. In our minds, it's as though since it's been applied to Jesus, then it's a sacrilege to use it in any other way. We need to rethink that because it's only when we actively think of its general use that it does take on that very special meaning when it's used of Jesus. If someone helps you out of a deep debt of money, say they pay off your car loan when you're behind on payments and about to have it repossessed, they are your financial savior. If someone pulls your unconscious body out of a burning house, they are your physical savior. If someone brings peace and calm to your frantic and overwhelmed mind, then you could very well say that they are your emotional or even psychological savior. We aren't lessening the importance of the term using it in non-spiritual ways for something other than being another name for Jesus. In fact, by doing so, it would probably serve to help a person to better understand its proper application when we do use it of Jesus. When we come to the word Christ, which is next, the first thing that most people need to understand that this is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. This is probably the one which would have the most claim to actually being solely applicable to Jesus, at least in our culture, because we don't use that term for anyone else and in any other way. Even when people use it as an expletive, it's still being used as a reference to Jesus. Just they're doing it in a near blasphemous way. It does have an actual meaning, however, and we of all people should comprehend it in order to properly understand the arrival of the baby in the manger. The word Christ is the anglicized version of the Greek word Christos. And that is a translation of the Hebrew word Messiah, which we usually pronounce as Messiah. And it means anointed one. In the Old Testament, Messiah was used of both kings and of priests who had been anointed, literally with oil, and set apart by God. They had been declared to be separate and distinct and of the Lord. It was usually as someone who would save or deliver the people of God. But it was not at that point solely applied to the concept of the Messiah, which it took on later as it was being applied to the coming Savior. The final title in this passage of the babe in the manger is that of... Lord. This is the Greek word "Kyrios." Now again, we tend to use this in a way reserved for Jesus as though it's one of his names. But this was used all over the place for many, many people. It has the meaning of a master, an owner, a possessor, a sovereign. Again, our concept of who it is that was born that night in Bethlehem is nothing but improved by our comprehending of what the words applied to him actually mean, other than just synonyms for the name Jesus. They tell us who it really was that the angel, God's messenger, announced at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The baby which had been born to them, announced by angels and worshipped by shepherds, was all of the things in the words which describe Him, but which we contend to start thinking of just as Jesus, the Son of God. And very good, for that is what He is. But He is also all of those other things as well. He is our Savior, Christ the Lord. He who saves us is also the anointed one of God, who is our rightful master and sovereign, our absolute ruler. We don't have any constitutionally limited monarchy, no parliament or congress. The Supreme Court that we plead our case to is him also. Further down in this same chapter, we read in verses 28 through 32 about the prophet Simeon, a man who had been waiting for the coming of the promised one. When he was led into the temple by the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had been brought there as an infant, we read this He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Because he had been promised he would would live long enough to see the promised Savior. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. In this passage, when he refers to God with what is translated, at least in the ESV, the King James, the NIV, and the NASB, it's translated as Lord. But it would be better translated the way the interlinear Bible does, which is Master. For this word here that is used of God is not Kyrios, Lord, as we saw earlier, it's despotess. What we would call despot. Absolute, unquestionable master. Twice later in Scripture, in 1 Peter 2, 1 and in Jude 4, both of those passages use this term despot specifically for Jesus. He is absolute Master, complete rule, God. The question that we are to ask ourselves this day, and really every day, if we consider ourselves Christians, is this. Do we look at the manger and see a wonderful story about a baby born in unfortunate circumstances that's just so sweet and lovely every Christmas time when we celebrate it? Or do we look in a manger and see our Master, our Lord? Mike talked earlier about how the the words of the songs matched his communion meditation. Well, guess what? They match my sermon also. Do we bow on our knees to our Lord and Master, despot, the absolute ruler of all creation who came to be our Savior, our Christ, and our Lord, the anointed one of God sent to save us from our sins, but also call us to our knees. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? The answer to that, of course, is that many do not really see him as Lord and Master, but as a baby, the gift, even the Redeemer, sure. But we need to comprehend that when God came down to be born as a human child to enter into our world as one of us, that day was the arrival of the King. Not just a baby. The King. The absolute ruler of our lives if we claim him as our Savior. Christmas is awesome. I love it. And not just because of turkey. Christmas is awesome. There's gifts. There's fun time. There's usually visiting relatives. But Christmas is the time that we have chosen just to specifically remember the arrival of Jesus, the Christ, the Savior the Lord, who would grow to be a man and give himself to die on a cross and raise from the dead to save us from our sins. And it is a free gift. But the question is, are you actually taking him for who he is, your absolute unquestioning master? If you haven't done that, if you haven't accepted Christ as your king, I invite you to submit yourself to him and have your sins taken away as we stand and sing and the praise team leads us.